0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus.
1: My name is Jeff Wanger, and I'll be reading John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord, my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Jeff, thanks so much for reading the scripture today. Appreciate you doing that. So we're ending the series today that we've been doing for the last several weeks, God-sized questions, those kinds of things that roll around in life that just leave us mystified and, and we are just think, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask God about this. So we've taken the first couple of weeks were kind of the really big kind of conceptual, existential kinds of questions like, is the Bible true? Do we believe evolution or creation? And we took a little more of a personal turn, right? Why does God allow suffering? And today, can I be Christian if I have doubts? The short answer is yes, by the way. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, yeah. So well, I just want to talk a little bit about kind of clarifying terms to start with. When, when I think of doubt, I think of doubt as uh, the dictionary says, a state of being uncertain a state of being uncertain, which means that you may have still some questions. You have things you want to ask. You need to get more information. Uh, There's an openness to experience and information. I don't think of doubt as disbelief in our English usage of the word because disbelief is more of a refusal to believe, almost like a I won't believe, right? It's not I can't believe, I won't believe. And I think that's a big difference. And that gets confusing with this scripture passage because you read some translations and it talks about, it uses the word doubt, and some translations use the word disbelief. But I think in the English language it's important for us to think of it in terms of the difference between having, still having some questions. I've got doubts, versus I'm not going to believe it. Paul Tillich was a very influential theologian in the 20th century, and he said doubt is not the opposite of faith, it is one element of faith. Some of you are familiar with Tony Evans. uh, He tweeted a couple years ago, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Terry Eagleton, speaking at the Fordham Center on Religion and Culture, uh, said, doubt is not some sinful lapse of unwavering faith. It's actually built into it. A proposition you couldn't Doubt would not be a matter of faith. I want to go back to that last sentence. A proposition, a statement, a a thought. Someone says, this is true. If if you're unable to have any doubt about it, then it's really not about faith. Right? Because faith is about the hope and the conviction of things unseen. So doubt and faith are a part of the same process. So, so then you have the story of Doubting Thomas, and wasn't that a great song? I loved that song. I became, became familiar with that song years ago, and I thought, boy, this is a great time to uh, have that song done in church, and uh, Kevin did an awesome job, so I'll be sure and thank him later. Um, so Doubting, Doubting Thomas, um, in that scripture passage that Jeff read, if you go a little bit earlier, it, it's the time after the resurrection of Jesus. So this is, this is a scripture passage that is often read in the week or two after Easter. <clears throat> and so uh, the disciples, given all that had happened, had kind of been in seclusion. They'd kind of gone into hiding. Remember because on the morning of the resurrection day, there was uh, Mary Magdalene some of the women had gone to the tomb. It was empty. Then they saw a guy they thought was the gardener. They talked to him. Turns out it was the resurrected Jesus. They go back to the disciples and they say, We have seen the Lord. But the disciples haven't seen him yet. They're unsure of everything. And so they're kind of still sequestered. And so so, uh, there they are behind locked door and Jesus appears to them, extends peace to them and and, and they are of course overjoyed to see the risen Christ. For whatever reason, we don't know, no one knows, I like to make up reasons but I, I shouldn't, Thomas was not there. I don't, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't in the room when this happened. And so when he came back, the disciples were just, of course, overjoyed. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, eh, come on, guys. We were all there. We saw what happened. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was hung on a cross. He died, laid in a tomb. What we thought was the beginning of this great movement fizzled. No, no, no. We've seen the Lord. Now, not until I can see I can see those scars. I can put my finger in there. I can see the, his side that was pierced. I can put my hand in there. That's Then I'll believe. Now, Thomas gets kind of a bum rap on this because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe he didn't believe. Well, you know, the disciples weren't sure of their belief either. They weren't sure of their belief either. And Jesus appeared to them. Thomas didn't happen to be there. So, several days later, Jesus comes back, peace be to everybody, and then he says, hey, Thomas. He looks right at Thomas. And he says, okay, so you wanted to see, here you go. You, see, you can see the scars, touch them if you want to. And Thomas didn't have to. He just said, oh, my Lord and my God. He had that experience then, too, of the risen Christ. Now, we often think of this as a really horrible act of, you know, he just didn't believe. But if that was the case, wouldn't Jesus have said, hey Thomas, tell you what, uh, because of your disbelief, you're out. You just need to go. No. He just went to to where he was and said, okay, you need to see, you you can see. My Lord and my God, and then Jesus said, "You, you, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Now, Jesus is not criticizing him here. He's not saying, you have to have proof. He's referring to the fact that there are going to be many, many people, including us, who don't have the opportunity to see. Jesus says, blessed or happy are those who can believe when they don't have to see. It's a passage that sometimes we, we don't see all of those pieces to it. Because it's an invitation to believe in the proof that Jesus provides for Thomas. When I think of faith, I think of faith as a journey. I, you know, we often think of, of faith as, as well, it's, it's a fixed thing. This is what you believe. That's it. There's no question. Except our understanding and application of it changes and grows with life. I always think of it as a journey. Um and we're at different points on that journey at different times. I like to travel. I really do like to travel. I, I'll fly wherever you want to go. I'll drive. I don't mind driving 10, 11 hours to go somewhere. I love to travel. Always have. And when I think of um, here, in, <coughs> excuse me, being here in McKinney, we're kind of right in the very middle of the southern part of the United States. And if you go from here east, I've had relatives in Tennessee my whole life. I went to school in North Carolina. You go here east, and it's pretty much the same, right? I mean, some places it's a little flatter, some places a little more rolling hills, but in the summer, the color is green, and humidity, and mosquitoes. I mean, that's kind of all from here east, right? I think a lot of us have a spiritual journey that's more like from here to the west, you only have to go a couple hundred miles and you're already, your elevation has doubled. It's much drier. There are not nearly as many trees. And frankly, it's kind of ugly area, right? If you've been to Abilene or Seymour, Benjamin. I see a couple of heads nodding. Many of you are going, ew, no. So, so, so then uh, you go another couple hundred miles. Well, now your elevation has doubled again. But, but you're up in some incredibly fertile farmland. Corn and wheat and soybeans and cotton and all kinds of things that they grow. So, and it's flat, right? It's flat. I mean, that, I grew up in that area, and I, I had, when, as I got older and experienced new things, I had to learn what it meant to walk up hills. I, I had never done that. It's always like this stage, you know, it's just flat. And, uh, and riding a bike was easy, right? There's no hills to go up. But fertile farmland, so, so walking around is easy, fertile farmland. Then you go another couple hundred miles, and you're in, you're in you're beginning to get to that high desert where the elevation is higher, there's not much moisture, uh, there's not much vegetation. And if you're driving through there at a certain point, you realize there aren't many insects hitting our windshield. Right. It, the, there's not enough moisture to sustain them. Then you go a little further, a couple hundred more miles, and you're at mountains. Now, those mountains can be really rugged, but if you go up, if you make your way up, and you get up there in certain mountains, you get high enough, and in the winter, it's covered with snow, and there's water, sometimes even waterfalls with the runoff, and you see these giant trees, and it's beautiful, and it's just beautiful, and then you have these vistas where you can look out over the mountains and over plains, and it's It's incredible. Then you come down off of those mountains, and before long, you're in real desert. I think of our spiritual journey, we're somewhere along that path, right? I mean, there are times that we're going through, and hey, it's great, man. It's easy walking, and I'm learning and growing a lot. It's fertile ground, learning and growing a lot. But then there are times that we are having trouble keeping our footing on that rugged slope, rugged rocky slope. And then there's the times that it's just beautiful. We go through that in our lives. We're at different places at different times as we grow in our faith. Jeffrey Curtis Poor is a pastor and a blogger who said, faith is willing to risk or bank on all, on the belief of the unseen world. Faith is not based solely on physical evidence, rather a conviction that I'm willing to stake my life on. And since the conviction that the journey is worth it, a conviction that along the journey it is drawing me closer to God, that draw along the journey it leads me to a place of joy and peace. But there is a subculture of Christianity here in America, and I, used, I choose those words very intentionally. There is a subculture of Christianity in America that doesn't want you to ask questions, they're going to tell you what to believe. Here it is, believe it. And if you raise questions, are you not? Do you doubt? You're not allowed to ask questions. So I was reading an article from a Religious News Service. Uh, I don't know, a week or two ago. About a church in another state, I won't name the church. I won't name. And uh, but that church and its leadership was taking a, a really firm stand on a particular social issue in America. What the social issue is is really not the point. Uh, But they were taking such a firm stand, they were requiring their members to check a box on that piece of paper and sign a document to say, I believe this, and I will not change. The interviewer asked the the pastor, so what if a member just doesn't sign that? And he said, well, that means they will be resigning their membership in this church. And then he went on to say, if you want to receive the care of this church, you must sign that document. Wow. Really? To receive the care of the church, you have to completely, 100% agree with us to the extent you're going to sign this piece of paper. I don't know how church does ministry if, that, if it goes that way. So in other words, there's, you can't ask any questions about this. We've decided it. It's true. That's it. Okay. At this point, we're not talking about faith. When, when a church or Christians Christian start doing that, you're not ta- really talking about faith. It's, it's about power, control, all kinds of things uh, that are not about faith. It's about indoctrination, dogmatism, which is really unfortunate because there are some who have come to faith in Christ through asking really difficult questions. You might have heard of Francis Collins. He was the former director of the National Institutes of Health. Um, had has done some groundbreaking medical discovery. Uh, now retired, uh, officially, but he still does some things. He wrote a book called The Language of God. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. It tells of his story, how he was raised in a home that was somewhere between atheist and agnostic. But as he studied science, it turned out he was pretty good at science. And the more he studied, he went and got his Ph.D. and decided he'd go into medicine, went and got another Ph.D., kept studying. And the more he studied, the more he thought, there's got to be a creator behind this. This can't just be random. And the more he studied, he began to think there's got to be a purpose to all of this life. And he became an outspoken Christian. It's a great book. Uh, Robert Jaworski, I'm sorry, Robert Jastrow um, was an uh, astrophysicist and astronomer. Um, and this I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes in the world. He says, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Faith and doubt are part of the human experience. If you say I have doubts, you're just saying I'm human. I think we've all been there. Having doubts is a way of thinking. It's a way of asking questions, seeking information, seeking new understanding. And sometimes you encounter someone who has doubts about faith. And I know some, t- some folks get real nervous because I think I've got to say just the right thing. I always say, don't, you don't have to freak out. Uh, kindness and patience go, and grace go a long way in those conversations. If they experience that, they're going to know I don't have to be afraid of having a doubt. You don't have to have the answer. Now, I know as, a, as parents, sometimes we get real nervous if our kids express doubts. Again, I, I think you don't have to freak out. They've seen in you what it looks like to believe, they've seen in you what it looks like to live out your faith. Trust that. God is faithful. God will continue to work in the lives of the people around us. And we have to understand they may have doubts in this moment. That doesn't mean they'll have that same doubt tomorrow. They're just at a different place in the faith journey. There's that place in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus was traveling. A man had a son who was very, very, very ill. And he goes to Jesus and he says, If you can can help him, please, would you heal him? And of course, and then Jesus was like, If... Jesus says, Did he sign the document? No. Interestingly, he said, Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, I think that's where a lot of us live. I believe, but I have questions. I have convictions, but I still doubt. And, and by the way, Jesus did heal his son. Well, the Bible is full of examples about this, uh, that, that some, of the, some of the heroes of our faith have had experiences of doubt in their life. I mean, Abraham and Sarah doubted God's promise that they would have a child. Sarah even laughed at the news. Asaph doubted that the wicked but doubted serving God because in his observations, the wicked prospered. And he's kind of like, well, God, aren't they supposed to fail and the good people get something good? Job doubted God's goodness. Moses doubted that God could use him to lead Israel out of Egypt. Gideon doubted God because to turn the tide against uh, Israel's oppressors. The nation of Israel seemed to always be in a state of doubt. And then you have Jesus' disciple, Thomas. He says, eh, I don't think so. I, don't, I doubt it. And yet, these are some of the heroes of our faith. I love the writer Anne Lamott. Uh, 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 She'll she'll shake you up. Um, And this is her quote about faith. She says, The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and the discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Sometimes you have the periods of doubt. It's okay. God is faithful. God will be with you. We're on a faith journey. We're on a faith journey. Now, the thing is, we, in my depiction of that scene of going west and all the different kinds of terrain, often, I don't know about you, but we'll think of it as you're out there by yourself. But we're not alone. We are not alone as we make that journey. There are all kinds of people on that path. All kinds of people that you you cross paths with, and and some of those people are in a different place, have been in different places on their journey. And so there's another way to do this, to come and see. In John chapter 1, Philip uh, was talking with uh, Nathanael, and he says, We have found the one whom Moses and the law and the prophets speak of. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And and Nathanael's like, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Come and see. And he took Nathanael to meet Jesus, and he went, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a, a conversation with the woman at the well. She's come to draw water, and Jesus starts talking with her about living water. And she, and she becomes convinced he is the Christ, and so she runs into our village and tells people, this man has told me come, everything about me. Come and see. And some people believed in Jesus based on her testimony. But others weren't so sure. They doubted. And they went out to talk to Jesus, and then they believed. And then you have Thomas. I don't know. I don't know. I have to see it to believe it. And Jesus met him where he was so that he could understand and believe. But we're not alone. All along this journey, all along the path, you're going to run across people who have been through really difficult times, and they will say to you, come and see. You're going to run across people who have been in the fertile soil of growth, and they're going to say to you, come and see. You're going to see those people who have been on the mountaintop, and they say, come and see. And you're going to cross paths with somebody who's struggling more than you, and you say to them, come and see. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United
0: Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have
1: a blessed day.